Welcome back to the Trojan Talk. Man, do we have a good podcast for you today. You know, I guess when you haven't had a podcast in six weeks or so, you better come back strong. And that is what we are doing today. What do we have for you? We have Rivals West Coast recruiting analyst Adam Gorney reacting in real time to the huge news of Tuesday that number one overall prospect Corey Foreman has decommitted from Clemson and that USC is very much back in play for their top overall target, the five-star defensive end from Corona Centennial High School. We have St. John Bosco coach Jason Negro on the line talking about recent USC commit Maximus Gibbs, the offensive guard who announced his decision on Friday, and also talking about the St. John Bosco to USC pipeline that is flowing in full these last few years. What else do we have? We have four-star recent commit Anthony Beavers, who announced his USC decision last Wednesday and is going to fill a very specific role in Tyler Lando's defense. We talked to Beavers about that role, about Tyler Lando, about Dante Williams, about Craig Niver, and about the other recruits in this class who he's in group text with and talking to and trying to sell on USC and what he expects to follow in this recruiting class. And as always, I couldn't do a podcast without having my co-host, who I had all season long with me, Max Brown, the former USC quarterback, the Trojans football analyst, the Trojansports.com analyst. He joins me for a half-hour segment. That was going to be the star of the show, but we had to move Adam Gorney to the top because of the Corey Foreman news. Before we get to that, we have one more thing for you. We have an awesome promo you know, I can't do a podcast without trying to give you guys a, an awesome deal to jump all over. This one might be the best ever. And that's not like salesman talk. I mean, seriously, we're doing a free trial for new subscribers through September 5th. That's when the football season was supposed to start or is supposed to start. We still hope that's when it starts. You can unlock full premium access from now until September 5th and get access to all of our content, all of our recruiting coverage, analysis, exclusive interviews, exclusive feature stories. And there's a huge feature story dropping this week that you're going to want to read about USC recruiting. Get all of that promo code USC2020 at sign up. If you go to our homepage at trojansports.com, there's a link in the banner at the top of the page. There are links in pretty much every story I post or repost. Uh, but you can also just go to the sign up bar and use promo code USC2020. 2020 free trial, no strings attached. You can cancel a month in. You can cancel on September 4th if you want, but we're confident you're going to like what you see. Okay, we're almost ready to get into it. Just another quick programming note. Because we are in this weird time where we're all at home and there's no face-to-face interaction, all podcast recordings being done remotely, we're kind of toying with some of our methods for recording the podcast. And so I think you're going to notice a some different sound qualities on the different interviews because a few of them were recorded in different ways. We're kind of working out the kinks and fine-tuning how we want to do this moving forward because we definitely want to do a lot more podcasts moving forward. Everyone's home. People are people want them. People are asking for the podcast. I want to do them. So we're going to keep toying with the audio. But if you notice it sounds different in the Jason Negro interview versus the Gordy interview, just roll with it. All right? Uh, Without further ado, let's bring in Rivals, West Coast recruiting analyst, 
Adam Gorney and get right into it. All right. Welcome to the podcast. Adam Gorney, always great to have our rivals, West Coast analysts, join us. Adam, how are you today? Good, good. Another huge news day. It comes out. Corey Foreman, the number one overall prospect in the 2021 class, has decommitted from Clemson. The buzz kind of was really mounting on Monday. Reports came out early Tuesday morning. You quickly reported the same thing from your sources. Let's just start there with, with how you saw this come about with Corey Foreman backing off his Clemson pledge. The reasons why USC would be very much in play here are obvious. He's a local kid. He and Drake Jackson are especially close friends. They were obviously a great duo at Corona Centennial in 2018. Jackson has had immediate success at USC. They remain tight. What gives you the sense that USC is, is well positioned at this point? And so offenses couldn't really just scheme against him. And he was almost looking forward 
to the to the time when he would just have to be matched up one on one on the edge against an offensive tackle and not be chipped by a running back or have two two to his side and the tight end and the tackle and the running back, all kinds of things people were throwing at him. Um, he's that good. So when it comes to USC, it's Drake Jackson. Uh, Corey is also very close with Dennis Jackson, Drake's dad, who helps work him out. Um, Gary Bryant just signed there in 2020, so that that's another factor to, to consider. Um, playing close to home, I think, as kids go through the recruiting process, they find that to be more and more important. Um, the opportunity to step in second one he gets to campus and be an immediate starter is definitely a factor. And USC definitely is in a very good spot here, um, but this is by no means a complete lock for them yet. I still think Clemson is going to recruit him hard. There was a reason, many reasons why he picked Clemson in the first place. Alabama, Ohio State, I think Georgia is going to get in the mix. LSU is going to get in the mix. Um, I find it hard to believe that he goes to Miami. Florida State might be a situation that he finds appealing, especially if they um, do well this season. Um, so he's not in, it's not necessarily the, the getting away from home as much as just the familiarity that he would have at USC if he were to go there. They're recruiting him very, very hard. I don't think they've stopped. Uh, as we've talked before, the coaching staff is going to make him priority 1A and 1B and 1C in this recruiting class. And uh, I think USC definitely the winner in today's news, but still hasn't locked him up, so I can't say that it's over yet. It's a great point about you can't look at his high school stats. I think he had like five sacks in eight games last year. I was at the opening in Texas last year watching him. He was the youngest lineman there and yet won the defensive line MVP from the one-on-one drills, going up against you know five-star, four-star guys uh, from the last class. So, yeah, the thing with the thing that I love about Foreman is, like you said at the opening two summers ago, um, or I'm sorry, last summer. I'm losing track of time. Yeah. Uh, Brian Brzee was on the field. He was on the field. And Mark Gibbler from our, our Ohio State site that said that it was clear Corey Foreman was the better player that day. Now, Brian Brzee was our number one player in 2020. What I also love about Foreman is he is exactly off by one pound, the same height and same weight as Chase Young is at the NFL Combine. So he's 6'5", 263. I think Chase Young was 6'5", 264. Um so that tells you what kind of player you're just getting when you look at him. He's big, he's super strong, uh, and over the last year he's gotten much thicker in his lower half. So his legs are built up. He's not just a kid who's bench pressing. He's a kid who's working his legs out. He's unstoppable, great motor, um, just an unbelievable talent um, who, who clearly um, is one of the top players in the country and it would be a huge, huge pickup for USC. Just to close the book on Corey here, if it ends up not being USC, what is the biggest reason? Well, I, the thing that I would say is that there are programs out there over the last five, eight years, kind of in the, the framework of his mind of who's been really, really successful, that have developed defensive linemen at an unbelievable clip and that's how he kind of sees himself. If it's, it's going to be very convincing for USC to say, 
you can play alongside Drake Jackson at least for one year, possibly two, and you can do what you did in high school on the college level, and it's going to be huge. But it might even be bigger um, for Ohio State to say, we made Chase Young the number two player in the NFL draft. We can make you the number two player in the NFL draft. It would be impressive for Alabama to say, do you want to be Jonathan Allen or do you want to be you know, along the line of the players that they've put into the NFL draft? And Clemson has the same impact in terms of Christian Wilkins and Dexter Lawrence, who I know is an inside guy, but Xavier Thomas is next in line, Austin Bryant. And that's just in the last two years. And we're talking first rounders. So, um, so they're definitely selling points for a guy like Corey Foreman, who certainly, um, hasn't proven anything on the college level yet. Um, but at his size with his ability, um, it would be very hard to keep him off the field and to keep him out of backfields for, for those years that he's on a football field. So um, he's a very talented kid. Um, there are definitely factors that play in USC's favor here, but by no means are Clemson, Ohio State, Alabama, and, and those type schools out of it for him. Yeah. Well, I do want to get into the guys that are actually committed to USC and this wave of commitments they got in the last six weeks. But while we're on it, whenever we've talked about Corey Foreman, it's always – does USC have a chance for the Foreman and Rajon Davis? So let's get your thoughts on Rajon Davis real fast, the four-star outside linebacker from Mother Day. Like Foreman committed elsewhere in January, he committed to LSU. What life do you think there is still for the Trojans in that battle? Yeah, it's definitely another interesting one. Um, and, and and many of the same kind of rumors have been out there about Rajon Davis um, that were out there about Corey Foreman. But I will also temper that by saying – the same rumors were out there about Elias Ricks as they were mm-hmm. uh, Rajon Davis last year. Ricks stuck with LSU and really kind of never wavered off that. Yeah. Um, there have been there have definitely been rumors um, that Corey Foreman and Rajon Davis have talked about playing together. A lot of people thought that meant LSU. Um, that turned out not to be the case. But now with Foreman back on the market and you know possibly heading to USC. Uh, Rajon Davis is definitely looking at USC. There's no doubt about it. Everybody you talk to, um, there were rumors that he was going to visit before the travel ban kind of came into place. That would have been huge. Um, the modern day connection cannot be avoided. It's just a school um, that pumps a lot of players to that to, to USC. That can't be avoided. Um, there was some thinking that Davis might do an IMG thing or, or do something for a senior season. That looks not to be happening i would imagine uh it's definitely not happening with you know who knows what the future brings over the next four or five months um so uh there's no doubt that he likes a whole lot about lsu uh, but there's also no doubt that usc is continuing to recruit him very very hard um if 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 usc could get uh davis and foreman in the same class that would be very very appealing to both players i think um, and so USC is definitely not out of it for him. That would be very, very appealing to a lot of people who listen to, to this podcast. <laughs> right. Well, let's get into the uh, the recent wave of commits. Six commitments since March 11th, and, and obviously all of that really coming since this national recruiting shutdown, no on-campus or off-campus recruiting. What's your overall reaction on what USC has done in this time and really maximizing, I guess, existing relationships, but also what they can do re- remotely? Slower uh, than normal. This has been a time when a 
lot of commitments have come in, but with this shutdown, with kids not being able to get, take visits, with coaches not being able to go to high schools, um, a lot of schools have really seen commitments drop off, but really the opposite has happened at USC, and it's really a credit to the aggressive style that they've been using, Dante Williams and Todd Orlando, and, and all of those coaches have been really aggressive going after guys, and and also kind of let's be honest here, kids don't know how long this is going to last. They want to be locked into a position. And a lot of these kids knew for a long time that they wanted to play at USC. So instead of kind of prolonging that and taking a risk and not finding their spot, they they wanted to get locked in early. Um, the coaching staff was aggressively going after them. They see an opportunity to get on the field. Um, and it's really paid off. You know, March and April – that's been really, really slow for a lot of teams, um, Alabama included and, and many others. Um, but for USC, it's been the opposite. It's been very, very busy. We knew there would be improvement when they brought in Tyler Orlando to replace Quincy Pendergast, and they hired some new guys, especially Dante Williams, who you mentioned. But even in the best-case scenario, could you have envisioned this, USC number six in the national recruiting rankings right now, nine commits, six four-stars, five of the top 25 California guys, which is huge, because last year they got one of those guys. They had one. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely been a completely different sort of style. I mean, 2020, you know, I don't think anybody can say it just wasn't a disaster. I mean, they, they got none of the local guys, and it was an absolutely loaded year for that. And, um, you know, they weren't really getting anything. They weren't getting any traction. They didn't know if Clay Helton would be the coach. And I guess that situation is still kind of playing itself out. Um but the 2021 kids are much more confident in sort of the direction of the program, also seeing an opportunity, and also guys, um, you know, that grew up wanting to play for USC and trying to get into their position. So, um, but I think really just bringing these new coaches in, sort of a fresh start. You know, Dante Williams going from Oregon, where he had a job for as long as he wanted, um, not only a very good coach, but an excellent recruiter, one of the best recruiters in the entire country. For him to leave Oregon to come to USC was really a statement um, in the confidence and the direction of the program. Um, you know, a lot of guys wanted to play for him, and, and that's been big. Todd Orlando coming in and just a much more aggressive style. I see their coaches on social media much more, which means yes. so do recruits. I see ta them talking, uh, recruits talking about how much more aggressive and sort of upbeat excited they are when they're in person. So all of that has played a big factor for USC's success here. Number one class in the conference, one of the top six classes in the country. And, and honestly, really nothing has changed on the field um, since they signed a class that was last in the Pac-12, which is just completely unheard of and ridiculous and one of the worst classes in the entire country. So um, I think the new coaches, you know, Clay Hilton has refocused the recruiting priorities um, the, the assistant coaches coming in, definitely an important job, and then they've been, you know, it's been reflective in the recruiting rankings. Yeah, I, I think Clay Helton's still facing scrutiny and evaluation next season. I don't think he's now set for years to come, but the perception has changed when you bring in a Dante Williams and some splash hires around him. It, you can tell it's removed that doubt or that hesitation from a lot of guys. You and I have talked a few times about that big junior day they had, which was right before National Signing Day. You know, a lot of schools were trying to wrap up their 2020 classes. Then USC kind of knew where they stood at that point, and it wasn't going to change much. So they went full in on the 21 guys and had a huge on-campus junior day. 
Tyler Lando was there. Craig Nine for the safeties coach was there. The rest of the staff wasn't hired yet, but it was still an impactful experience for, for those guys. What was the, the consistent theme you got from talking to players after that about that experience and how that's kind of maybe set the tone for everything that's followed? Yeah, I talked to a lot of guys that were there and, and a lot of guys that had visited many previous times, and they said that it was just a different feel, a different energy. Um, everybody was much more upbeat about the direction of the program. You know, a lot of times when coaching staffs are entering their final years, the, the writing's on the wall. Recruits aren't really feeling it. The players on the team are just kind of going through the motions. The locker room is lost a little bit. You know, the assistant coaches are not looking for other jobs, but know it's, it's coming. The head coach is kind of deflated a little bit, but still trying to fight for his job. Um, but now that had completely changed at that junior day. Um, every, almost every kid that I talked to that was there um, said it was completely different than the other times they had visited. They, people were much more engaged. Uh, top recruits were going around the campus. I think, you know, Malik Murphy had, you know, dri- driven around with the Heisman Trophy. I mean, right. it, was just a, it was just a much more um, involved coaching staff. Energy was back. And kids kind of, you know, you know um, respond to that. Uh, they, a lot of them want to play at USC. And uh, but they do want to play for a winning program and a, and a coach that they know or at least hope will be there for many years. And um, that was the feeling. I think that turning point, that junior day, was a big turning point to get this 2021 20, class really started. Was there one conversation in particular that, that really drove that point home to you that you had with a prospect? Yeah, I, I, think, the, I think I talked to Jalen Davies, um, who, who is, you know, he's a modern-day kid. He's been to USC plenty of times and, um, and I believe this was even before Dante was there, right? It was, yes. Yeah, and, and he, he just said it was like, he said it was like night and day. It was like, I'd be, I'd be at USC and you're really not feeling it. And now you go there and, you know, they're, it's just a completely different feeling. So, you know, top to bottom, every kid that I talked to said that they absolutely loved their experience there. They had a great time. Um, a lot of kids visited again after Rivals Camp um, yep. in L.A. I, there, there were more kids on campus then. And that wasn't happening last year. I mean, or, or in, in previous years. I, you know, Kayvon Thibodeau was a kid who was hardly recruited by USC. Um, you know, DJ Wade on the Lillet was hardly recruited, even though they had Bryce Young committed. You know, they still really didn't stay all that involved with him. Um, you know, Justin Flo kind of went through the motions late, but never really felt like he was a top priority and never really, it, it never really felt like he was going to end up at USC. Um, so, you know, all those kids are misses. You know, Elias Ricks kind of had said early on that he, he grew up a USC fan. Um, you know, obviously went to IMG and that situation changed. But even when he was out here, it was kind of a late kind of recruitment. They weren't all that involved with him. But, you know, that, and, and those are definitely misses that will hurt them down the road. But, um, you know, the 2021 class is definitely back in a big way. Um, I like a lot of the prospects in the class. They're long, rangy, athletic kids. And so I think, uh, you know, it's definitely an uptick from 2020 for sure. Yeah, well, like I mentioned, we've had you doing these commitment analysis pieces after each announcement. So we, we have your thoughts on each guy. But I want to ask you who you think has been the most significant pickup in this little flurry they've had over the last five weeks. I, I have my answer, but I want to hear what yours is first. Yeah, let's go down the guys just so I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. sure of all the commitments. So it started March 11th with Mason Murphy, and, and right. that, that was the day of USC's only spring practice. So things hadn't totally shut down yet, 
but they would that night and the next day. Then there was Brandon Campbell, the four-star running back from Houston, Texas, uh, a couple weeks later. Then Samarian Gordon, the local safety. Uh, Anthony Beavers this Wednesday, the four-star athlete from Narbonne. Maximus Gibbs, the three-star offensive guard from St. John Bosco. And Kalen Bullock on, on Saturday, the four-star DB from Pasadena. So you had three in a span of four days here, but six since March 11th. Yeah, so, so I would say the way the rankings shake out now, uh, Beavers is ranked ahead of Gordon. I don't think that's going to be how it is long-term. Um, I love Gordon on film. And so I think he's, he and Bullock are two really, really big pickups on the back end there in terms of safeties, long corners, just rangy guys that Todd Orlando is going to love to coach and that they're going to get a lot of athleticism out of. And then the inter- I really think the most interesting one is Maximus Gibbs. He's a kid who's just massive. And I said this to you during the commitment analysis thing. It's just Imagine the biggest person you've ever seen, and he's bigger than that person. He's just a big, big kid. And so um, he had dealt with weight issues earlier in his career, but he's gotten over that now, and he's you know, really in, in better shape and, and continuing to get into really you know, top-level game shape, and he's going to be an interesting one in, inside. So I think those three are the ones um, that really stand out to me. All very good players. None of them are reaches um, for USC, um, which they did in the 2020 class, but um, all very good players. I think Bullock could be really, really special down the line. Yeah, we have St. John Bosco coach Jason Negro on this podcast as well in a different segment, and he talked about Maximus Gibbs being one of the most menacing, imposing, best finishing offensive linemen he's ever had, and uh, and he thinks he's a future NFL guy. Um, So I can't disagree with any of your answers. I come back to Brandon Campbell, though, only because they have put such an investment in recruiting Texas. And they got the three, uh, the two three-star offensive linemen last year out of there in Cortland Ford and Casey Collier. But getting Brandon Campbell, I think, is a domino that could lead to more success there moving forward, especially he is so committed to being a recruiter for them. I think that's going to pay dividends down the line. Yeah, absolutely. And I can't disagree with that at all. Um, when USC was USC winning national championships and competing and being one of those teams, um, you know, in the BCS, uh, they had to recruit nationally. You, you know, you can you can get almost your, your entire class from Southern California and be super, super competitive. We see that at Oregon. I mean, they came down and they got Diamador Lenore and Thomas Graham and Kayvon Thibodeau, and now they got Noah Sewell, and they got uh, Dye and Verdell, and their receivers, and, and everybody, um, except some of their linemen. And those are all the players that are shining in Oregon now. And next, it'll be Justin Flo and Noah Sewell, and on down the line, Mace Funa. You can get those, and, and, and they won the Pac-12, and they were in, within striking distance of a college football playoff berth. So, um, you know, USC, if they return to their roots of getting the top players in Southern California, but you have to dip into Texas. You have to go to Florida. You have to go to the Midwest for some guys, and they've started to do that. And, you know, Campbell might not be the only guy out of Texas that they get in this recruiting class. There are definitely others that are very high on them. And, and that just that just is a domino effect, too, that if one or two kids from a state come out and have a really good time and, um, you know, perform really well and get out to the NFL, then others um, will think it's definitely possible, too. And so I think Campbell is definitely a big pickup. Um, 
and it's going to be interesting to see, uh, you know, how that plays out over the next few months because he's definitely a vocal kid who's involved with a lot of recruits in Texas. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to ask you this. So uh, they have nine commits, six four-stars, which is already three times as many four-stars as they had all in the last year in the 2020 class. Uh, yeah. but, but you and I have talked about the other three guys, the, the three three-stars, and that there's some potential there for them to move up. You just touched on Zamir and Gordon, but we also have Mason Murphy and A. Gibbs. Um, yeah. What do you think is the likely outcome when we get to the end of this cycle in those rankings of, of those guys and their four-star potential? Yeah, I would say that Zamir and Gordon um, is probably a four-star now. It's just the way that our ranking system works is we just can't move guys into – to positions after a new film comes out. Um, we have to wait for certain times, and we're not going to re-rank until probably late May for the 2021 class, so that's not that's not going to happen, at least for another month. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I think Max Gibbs is, is an intriguing prospect that we're just going to have to really see during the season again. You know, I saw him last year. He was in and out of games. Um, I thought that uh, he was very, very good, um, but... Uh, you know, we just need to see him more, you know, consistently on the field, consistently dominating. And honestly, and, you know, I just have to put this out there, I had to keep the weight down. He has to stay in shape. Um, he has definitely done that over the last year. He looks like a completely different person than when I saw him two years ago. He's much more agile, much lighter, even though he's probably 350 pounds. Um, he's much lighter and much more agile, and he's starting to really get into football shape. Um, and that's really, really positive to see. And then Mason Murphy um, is another kid who looks great. Um, definitely, I would, I would say definitely a tackle um, in college. And a guy uh, who I saw last year uh, was impressive. And uh, really just need to see a little bit more of him and to see him dominate more. And, and he would, he's right on that cusp of uh, four-star status. So I would say all of them definitely have that potential, um, but just want to see at least two of them in games more before I kind of pull the trigger there because it's it's hard to go it's hard to give them the four star and then have to pull it back. give them the four star based on film pull it back right. when you see them in games you I, I I tend to be more conservative in rankings and then kind of unleash those four stars after I see them in their senior seasons good deal well one more topic we got to get your thoughts on uh, it was the news of last week JT Daniels announcing last Thursday that or I guess USC announcing on his behalf that Daniels has entered the transfer portal. It is not a total surprise. Now, back in December after the season, when it was really a question, what was he going to do? Uh, his dad came out and said, we're not transferring. We're staying for at least this year. That made sense then. Uh, you know, if he transferred and didn't get a waiver, he's sitting out anyway. If he stays in grad transfers, it would be the same uh, eligibility situation regardless. But now there's the wrinkle of the potential one-time transfer exception. The NCAA is going to vote on it May 20th. And I was told by my people at USC, my sources, that that was the main impetus for the timing now, that they think that's going to go through. And if it does, he can be playing somewhere next year without having to request a waiver or anything. What was your reaction to, to seeing him enter the market? And then, and then how, how much demand do you foresee for him as a transfer? Yeah, it's an interesting situation because – I'm a huge JT Daniels fan. Me, I mean, me too. He, he was outstanding in high school, outstanding. And this wasn't against, you know, a bunch of high school kids that will never play college football. He was against national competition, just torching people. He and Amon Ross St. Brown were on the same team. 
They were absolutely unstoppable. Um, Brew McCoy was on that team, and he was phenomenal. He wasn't just throwing it, you know, checking it down, and then people were getting 60 yards, and he got 60 passing yards out of that. He was putting the money, putting the ball on the money every single time. And so he comes to USC, kind of struggles through a freshman season of learning and not exactly the most favorable offense and all of the things that, you know, happen to freshman quarterbacks. I mean, look at what Kyler Murray did in his first year. And so my thinking comes back to this, you know, big, the, the last three and the last you know, three number one overall picks, if Joe Burrow goes number one Thursday night, will be transfer quarterbacks, uh, Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, Joe Burrow, and all of them, the coaches from their previous team would have absolutely loved to have them back, you know? I don't think Texas Tech and Cliff Kingsbury would have said they they wouldn't have wanted Baker Mayfield's production later in his career. The same at Texas A&M with Kyler Murray, and absolutely the same thing at Ohio State with Joe Burrow, you know, if not for Justin Fields, who had transferred from Georgia. So I think the thinking uh, that, you know, if you transfer, you know, you kind of couldn't cut it, you couldn't make it, it, your career is over, I think that idea has been thrown out the window. I think there's going to be a huge market for JT Daniels. Um, You know, Keaton Slovis is a very talented kid, uh, but he's been injured. And, you know, I just hesitate to just think that JT Daniels isn't going to be a superstar in college football. At the Army All-American game, he and Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence were all on the same field. At least he and Trevor Lawrence, I believe. And the, the skill level was not that far off. And so I think a lot of teams are going to be smart. I think what he needs to do is find an offense that really suits his abilities, which puts him in the in the shotgun, and he can throw it all over the field. Um, you know, we'll see how he returns from that injury. We'll see. You know, that's a that's a long rehab he's going to go through. Um, if he's not ready to go by the summer, this next season might even be a wash in terms of getting on the field and performing up to the top of his level. Um, but you know. He's a very, very talented kid um, who just <laughs> happened to be in a situation where the guy behind him just had a shockingly good freshman season, and they've decided to stick to stick with him. But I think JT Daniels um, is a very, you know, solid quarterback who can who can still be a first round draft pick, you know, three years from now. I totally agree, and I've been surprised at the the opposite sentiment that. Is, exist in our, our our message board and the fan base and just how much is put into that 2018 season he had that was yes up and down but the offense was a mess and I, I i saw enough from his arm talent to believe in it uh, we saw it in the first half of that fresno state opener last year before he got hurt i've seen it in practice uh just just to end with this what level of a program do you think he ends up at i mean is, is he going to be in a in a playoff contender is he going to be a, a mid-tier power five what's your best guess yeah, I would imagine, and I, I still think it's very early in terms of where he wants to go. Now, he and his dad are definitely not going to rush a decision or probably make a bad decision. You know, I don't think he's going to go into a situation like Tate Martell, who goes to Ohio State, doesn't win the job, goes to Miami, which doesn't an offense that really doesn't fit him at all, and then he's a third-string guy, and 
he's kind of lost in the shuffle there. You know, um, I, I would imagine that high-level programs are going to go after him. Um, would I be completely stunned if Ohio State brings him in, you know, knowing Fields is going to have one year left and then he can step in and be a contender to, to get that starting job? I wouldn't be stunned by that. Tennessee has been mentioned. LSU has been mentioned. Um, just imagine JT Daniels in an offense last year uh, that featured Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase and running backs and a huge offensive line that would give him tremendous amounts of protection. Nobody touched Joe Burrow last year. Yep. So, you know, I think I think if, if coaches are smart, and they are, and they're going to want a quarterback of his caliber, I think every team in the country will probably be going after Good stuff. We'll see what happens. As always, thanks, Adam, for your time. All right, that was awesome. Thanks to Adam for doing that. I hope you enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I know you enjoy my next guest, or rather my co-host, Max Brown, the former USC quarterback, the Trojans analyst, our Trojansports.com analyst. And we are going to go a different direction aside from recruiting with Max. And, and then we'll jump back into the final two interviews, which are recruiting-oriented with St. John Bosco head coach Jason Negro and four-star USC safety commit Anthony Beavers. But first, let's bring him in. Max, how you doing? I'm good, Ryan. It's uh, weird times for sure, but staying healthy, no complaints on my end. How about yourself? Yes, staying, staying healthy in quarantine. I don't mind the quarantine so much. I'm, I'm getting used to that routine. I've watched a lot of bad movies. Um, <laughs> Running out of the Netflix shows? Yeah, no, you and me, you and me both. My Spectrum On Demand uh, bill is going to be through the roof whenever it comes this month. <laughs> I log in every day, and I'm like, please please tell me there's new movies. Please tell me there's new movies. And yeah. I, I watch them all, and, and I buy them. Uh, anyways, I wish we had more to talk about over the last month and a half. We haven't, but there's still plenty to cover today because we haven't talked in a while. We talked before spring practice. Yep. And I always like to lean on your insight as having you know been a, a college athlete, a college football player, and you can speak to that perspective and let's get let's get right into the quarantine right now that everyone's going through. If if you were an active quarterback right now at USC or at Pitt or wherever, and this happens, what would be going through your mind, and how would you approach it? Yeah, I mean, the, to high level, I don't know what would be going through my mind. I think as a student athlete, everything is so structured every single minute of your day. I mean, uh, it's a tw- it's yeah, the season's only four months, but. Really, your whole 12-month year is scheduled out to a T. So then now when you're not having the strict workouts with AA, you're not having meetings with Helton or anything like that, then it's kind of on a lot of these kids' honor. And I know they're doing some things behind the scenes to keep them on track, but it's just it's just weird timing. I know for me, if I was in their scenario, I'm sure I would have gone home back to Seattle, uh, and then my parents still live close to kind of where I where I uh, grew up and played and, and played ball. So if I was in that scenario, I'm trying, I'm finding a way and doing anything I can to to get into my high school's weight room to try to find a, a, a dumbbell, try to find a workout program. Uh, I know for me, I'm living here uh, in in LA, and there's a Big Five down the road, and I guess the the line to get athletic equipment was like three. The first person <laughs> in line came in like three hours before the store opened. So if I'm a student athlete, if I'm if I'm playing football at SC, you better believe I'm there three hours before. Get your workout equipment. I just think uh, it's the fine line. If you're a coach, you have to provide structure and provide a routine for these guys, but don't overdo it to the point where then these guys kind of kind of tune out. Because if I'm if I'm a betting man, I, I guarantee Helton has a list of about 
20 to 25 guys somewhere in there that he's keeping a close eye on. There's a lot of guys that, hey, they're self-motivated. They'll find a way to get their work in. But there's other guys that I'm sure they're chilling, playing video games. I mean, they run the risk of they're not moving around. So I think that's the biggest thing is during this time, find a way. Yes, your strength training is not going to be elite. Yes, you're not having the real live reps of spring ball, but find a way. So hopefully when things do get back to normal here in July or whenever it is, football-wise, that you're not starting totally from ground zero. I talked with Double A on the radio, and he was saying uh, they're going to have to definitely change their entire summer program either way. Just to, There's going to be probably an acclimation period no matter what happens. So I think the biggest thing is uh, the worst thing you can do uh, come fall camp is get injured. And so doing the things now to prevent that, whether that's mobility, getting up, moving around, and doing the most you can, because especially with the guys SC's getting, there's going to be guys that they don't have to lift a single weight. They're still going to be looking like specimens, and, and they'll be just fine. But there's a big portion of the, of the locker room that, hey, uh, weight gain or weight loss is front of mind, and you run a heavy risk right now, and there's younger guys that are trying to develop, and you don't want to lose the gains that they've had. So uh, all that plus nutrition, it's just unprecedented times. And uh, it's really on these guys to say, all right, who's self-motivated, who's self-accountable. And I think I, that that dates back to kind of the culture and what you've established in your guys. Yeah, I mean, self-accountability is paramount right now because now we know that Aaron Osmond's put together this, this Instagram account, this private Instagram page for all the players where he's uploading workouts and showing them what they can do from home. But college coaches right now are not allowed to be really monitoring kids' workouts. So it was one of the NCAA stipulations as they were working through some rules for this, this crazy time. So there's not a huge available accountability from the coaching staff during this. It really is on the players. Max, tell me, for someone who's never worked out at a team facility or had that access every day, what's the biggest thing they're missing right now? Aside, aside from the coaches and the accountability, but just the biggest thing they don't have access to now that they would definitely be utilizing and taking advantage of if they had full facility access. Yeah, I think uh, nutrition's the biggest one. I think that's something that when you're in it, even I lived it, hey, my first year out of college sports and you don't have meals prepared and you're not just walking into a room and things are ready. That's kind of like, I mean, that that gets back to my whole, hey, all 12 months of their year are scheduled. I mean, they're used to getting, I don't know exactly how they structure it now, but they're used to getting breakfast and lunch uh, or breakfast and dinner five days a week, pretty much year round. That's no more. And for a lot of these guys, I mean, I was fortunate. I come from a two-parent household. Like if I go home, I'm still getting solid meals and and I can find a way to, to, to eat and stuff. But a lot of these guys, they might be going home to, 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 to fried food or not the best food or not the best nutrition or skipping meals or a, a lot of these guys that, like I said, that have weight concerns and they need to eat healthy. Well, it's not, it's, it's harder to do that. I mean, we're all living it now. It's hard to do that when you're just sitting on your couch watching Netflix and then vice versa for guys that need to gain weight. Uh, do they have access to the, the mass quantity of healthy food? That's, that to me is the biggest thing uh, just to keep, I mean, injuries and in, in long-term trajectory and all that. But even outside of that, uh, for quarterbacks, you can survive on dumbbells, push-ups, sit-ups, kind of finding a way to just kind of stay, stay healthy. But a lot of these linemen and these linebackers that they need to push weight to make sure their bodies are, are locked in, ready to go. I mean, most of these guys are not going to have barbells. Most of these guys are not going to have full-on weight training. And uh, I think that is a 1B rather than 1A to nutrition. But it's really going to test guys and say, hey, who's who's going out there and making things work? I think there is a way to get around it with 
with finding a way to, to, to do get your hands on a, on a dumbbell or push-ups and, and kind of make things work that way. But by and large, not having your structured, just strength training, uh, physical program coupled with nutrition, that, that's a big loss. But I think what is good is that, hey, this is something every team in the country has to deal with. And right. I, know, I know there was controversy over some schools were sending equipment, other schools were not allowed to, what was allowed, that stuff. But by and large, everyone's uh, on the same playing field, so then it kind of gets back to your uh, your self accountability uh, game. And hey, who's gonna who's gonna make the most of this time, and who's gonna let these these months pass them by and have it be a negative? All right. Well, the last point I want to get to on this is, you know, as a quarterback, you're throwing with your guys all the time, even outside of spring ball, outside of fall camp. You're getting guys out to throw. You're having player run practices. What is the impact there if, if these guys come back let's say hypothetically they're able to come back in July and start working but they haven't done any of this stuff together in four or five months how is that going to manifest itself how, how will you notice that on the field as a quarterback yeah it's a great question and I think that's where you kind of segment your roster and, that, and I started this with hey there's probably a list of 20-25 guys that Helton has his eye close on he's checking up making sure they're not going couch potato mode all that so uh, and it happens even without coronavirus. I mean, you'll get guys that go home for two weeks and the, the, the break after spring semester before summer conditioning. And there's guys that don't do anything. They come back. They're running the risk of maybe pulling a hamstring or twinking something or they ate like crap. They gained 15, 20 pounds. So that, uh, that, that concern still exists without coronavirus. I think now it's just compounded even more. You have to, uh, when, when guys do get back, you got to be wary of hey, who was working and who wasn't. And I think I look back on my roster, there's going to be guys that find ways to get their work in. I know for me, uh, I can hop the fence in my high school football field and, 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 and make it work. I can find receivers. I can throw. I can do that. And there's going to be guys that are self-motivated. But then there's also guys that are going to be like, hey, this is kind of nice not having to do football. I'll yeah. just hang out and kind of take advantage of this time. And so I think it's a mixed bag. I think there's going to be certain guys that are locked in, ready to go, chomping at the bit. And there's other guys that are going to be kind of rolling out of bed type vibe. But the reality is that's how it always is. Uh, I just think that those effects are compounded even more with the with the layoff likely going to be two months, three months, rather than 10 days, two weeks type of deal. What about the, the timing element with receivers? Does that come back quickly, or is that something you really have to keep working through those PRPs? I mean, not year-round, but, but pretty often to make yeah. sure it's, it's in sync. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's one of those things where, sure, it's a concern because everyone has to deal with it. It's not as big of a deal. Um uh, but I, I, I'm trying to think. Uh, I don't think it's a huge concern. I mean, really. I, I think uh, when I look back on my time at SC, uh, if you give me a two-month layoff with, with Juju or a Darius Rogers or a Steven Mitchell, it might take us a week to get back in sync. But uh, I think you can pick up in stride, especially because a lot of these guys, I mean, Keaton, he's had reps with most of these receivers beforehand, so it's not like he's starting totally from scratch. But right. uh, it'll take a couple of weeks, but I don't think it's a – huge concern like if it was hey me transferring to Pitt and I've never seen these receivers before I have no idea who these guys are that's a different beast yeah well I guess all this leads to the question that everyone's asking is will there be a season when will football come back obviously there were some not overly encouraging comments from some local leaders about the viability of having mass sporting events in the year 2020 I I want to get your take. My personal take is that it's too early to really know. I mean, it's clear that, that this is 
This is an ever-evolving process. No one has all the answers, and we're still in April. So me being an optimist, I look at it as four months away. We're, we're three and a half months away from when fall camp would start. How can we say now what the situation is going to be? I'm going to remain hopeful. I do think that there's going to be we're not going to see full stadiums. Uh, there's going to be some adjustments made, some compromises. But college football is just too valuable to the ecosystem of college athletics. So much relies on it. It's 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 the main financial driver of the entire athletic department, and the repercussions for losing a whole football season are catastrophic potentially. And so I think that people are going to be clever. They're going to be willing to think outside the box. I mean, we've, we've heard suggestions of uh, the season going into the winter or the spring and, and just pushing the whole thing back. I think somehow, some way, there's going to be a football season. I don't know when it's going to start, uh, but I'm not ready to take a fully pessimistic view on things. Max, what's your gut feel? And I know you don't have the answers either, but I just want, want your opinion. What, what, what do you see happening here? Yeah, I kind of echo everything you said. I, I think there's going to be a college football season. I don't, I don't see a full cancellation, but... To me, I can get behind the idea of, hey, maybe these guys getting back in the locker room in a July or an August, whether that's uh, the, the, the testing's improved and all that. But to me, the biggest hurdle is I cannot envision 75,000 people going into the Coliseum and yeah. people acting like, hey, all, all is well. That, that to me is the big difference. And obviously, if you're not getting people in the stands, it's a huge financial loss. And it's kind of, I guess, the moral deal of, hey, we're asking these kids to play football, yet we're not comfortable having fans sit in there. And kind of how does that work? So if I had to put my money somewhere, I would probably expect uh, probably like a month delay. Um, but even then, as I say that out loud, like I don't know what exactly does four weeks give you. I think we're living it right now. I mean, it's April 21st. Uh, March 21st, it wasn't that much different. Yes, I mean, right. I, I think the curve's behind us, but in terms of overall day-to-day, it's not that much different. Um, but I, I think, yeah, if I had to put my money somewhere, it would be a delay. Uh, but I, I think you're going to have to get into it. I think the TV contracts will, uh, it, I mean, imagine a world where we haven't had any sports and then we, we, we resume life and then college football's back in. People are going to go crazy. I mean, those, those TV ratings, I, I would like to think, are going to be off the chart. Um, but obviously, it's it's a money deal. It's a it's a uh, it's a health deal. I think a, a couple months delayed, and uh, obviously, filling the seats is the biggest question. Definitely, you know, one scenario I've heard that I think makes some sense, or or that seems logical, is maybe only playing a conference season and and trimming it down that way. I think that's that's one thing they would look at. But again, we're just speculating here. I I agree with everything you said. I don't see a way we're packing the Coliseum in the fall, but. Yeah, and, right, and right when I hear you say that, the biggest concern, I mean, so that, that's great for USC, but then how does that impact a, a Fresno State that kind of relies on a lot of the money from those early true. games? And uh, I was talking with my girlfriend the other day, and she works with a lot of smaller, uh, smaller athletic de- departments with her profession, and they're having sports closed down. And so, yeah, I mean, obviously money's the big, I mean, health is concern one. Uh, money's concerned too. And, and how does that work? I mean, even going through the options you just said, let's say you do push it back two or three months and the season on the back end goes into uh, a, f- a January or a February that's kind of like the NFL, then how does that impact the 2021 season and all that stuff? I mean, there's a lot to sort through. But yeah, crazy, crazy times. Yeah, much much respect to the people who have to make those decisions and, and figure out those answers. I, I, I wouldn't want to be that one. Uh, there's so many complexities involved. 
But, you know, even if you can't get the gate revenue that you would normally, that TV money is still huge. And I, I think they'll find a way for that reason. And we'll just stay hopeful, yep. I guess. Okay, let's let's just pretend like life is normal. We talk about things that you know would happen otherwise. The news last week, the big news: JT Daniels, USC quarterback, is entering or has entered the transfer portal. Daniels is is trying to survey his future. What's the best decision for him? He sees what well, I may have an option now to play somewhere else next year. It's pretty clear that that Keaton Slovis is the guy here. Uh, they can say there's going to be a competition and all this, but there's just no conceivable way if Keaton Slovis is healthy that you don't give him a chance to build on what he did last year. JT, I'm sure, realizes this. So he sees this opening and enters the portal. And that's where we are. Now, if this proposal is not voted through, is not approved, then I think it's probable he comes back. Uh, It's still open-ended regardless. Both he and Clay Helton left the door open that JT is welcome back and that JT is saying that's still an option for him to come back. So it's not decided yet, but we have to assume that the momentum is is leaning towards this proposal being pushed through. And if that happens, I think that JT's already made the decision that the best thing for him is to to play as soon as possible and get his career back on track. Max, what was your reaction to that news last week? And then we'll get into what we think happens. Yeah, my reaction was surprise uh, only because of the timing. I just thought it was uh, a little interesting just why why now, why... why, uh, why mid-April? And I, and I think the answer to that is he's probably sitting home kind of assessing things. I'm sure he was hoping spring ball maybe gives him some clarity. But I think stepping back, I think the number one thing is in terms of him navigating this process is, is where is his knee at? I mean, is he going to be ready to walk into a fresh new locker room in August and take over a job? I think that's a big that, that's a big a big question because if his mindset is, hey, uh, like you said, the one-time transfer rule, I, I, I want to come in and I want to play right away in 2020, um, that's different than the mindset of, hey, I'm still relatively young. I'm going to make more of a long-term decision as I might have. I'll have two, at least two full years at a program. I think that that's a big factor because when you look at the potential schools that are being thrown out there as, as possible landing spots, so they, they fall into two different bu- buckets. One is, hey, they, th- this team needs a quarterback right now in 2020, and the other is, hey, uh, this might be more of a long-term play with a new coach, a new staff that he could develop. And so I think uh, question one is where's it, where's his knee at, and then question two kind of goes along with that is mentally where is he at? Is he um, w- what kind of spot is he trying to jump to? I think uh, we we've said this from the start. I, we said this back in November, Ryan, pretty much of there was to me there was no way JT Daniels uh, was going to start if if everyone was healthy and uh, nothing crazy happened to Keaton Slovis. He was the guy. I mean, it was it was obvious. They called it a competition, which I'm, I'm not always a, a, a fan of that. But uh, I, I was interested if, hey, would he maybe transfer at Christmas or at that time? But I, I liked his decision because I think staying at SC, rehabbing that knee, kind of seeing that process through made the most sense. But now uh, I like why he did it now. The timing might be weird because, shoot, I thought the timing was weird right when he uh, announced. But the more I step back, when I transferred out of SC, I put my name at the time. There was no portal, but the equivalent of the portal, I put my name in there in October during the playing year. And I remember some people thought, hey, that's really early. Why are you doing that? 
But my thought process was I wanted to put my name in there uh, just because there was no controversy of why I was transferring because it's a data point. Right now, he's gathering a bunch of data points. I mean, the teams that are calling him right now and reaching out to him right now, that's good information for him to have because it shows, hey, this staff wants me. Hey, there's a, there's a glaring need. It, hey, it allows you to develop relationships and whatnot. If his name wasn't in the portal and say he waits till July to do this, then he just he missed out on, on two months of, pay, of potentially sorting out some schools, talking to people, developing these relationships. So the more I sit back, I like his decision to do that, especially with, hey, the door is still open for him to come back to SC. So he can gather all this information, talk to people, talk to coaches, see what's out there, uh, and then still come back to SC. So I like, I like the timing the more I think about it, uh, especially with no spring ball and there was really no added data in that regard. But it'll be interesting to see where he lands. I think talent-wise, he can play anywhere in the country. I don't think he's – I mean, th- I think we all know this. He's not necessarily a guy that needs to drop down to, to do any of that, assuming he's healthy. He can play uh, anywhere in the country. It's just a matter of, of finding the right fit. And there's some interesting list of teams out there of, of places that are being thrown around. But – Knee, knee is number one. Get that healthy and allow him to, to hopefully play sooner rather than later. Yeah, I mean, if if he's working on the assumption this proposal is going to go through, you don't want to start this process fresh when the feeding frenzy begins and everyone's scavenging for, for transfers. Uh, this month head start where if it goes through, he may already know what his best option is. Makes sense to me. And we had a very mixed reaction on the, on the message board to this news and and people, not everyone understanding why he would do it. Uh, to me, you, you know, you, you, can, you can do the whole talking point of kids these days transfer at the first sign of adversity, this and this and this. It's just different with quarterbacks, okay? There, there, there's no rotation. There's no opportunity for him unless uh, Keaton Slums gets hurt. There's not even a conceivable hypothetical where he could have been so great in fall camp that it would have left such, such a gap that he would have overtaken Keaton, just, just, just yep. not there. Yeah, and and they're both they're both classified as sophomores right now. Keaton's a sophomore, JT's a redshirt sophomore. So what if Keaton stays his entire time? Then there's there's never an opportunity for JT unless uh, injury strikes. And even if Keaton leaves after his junior year, that leaves one season, and that means JT's put his entire future hopes on one season. And what if he gets hurt four games into that year? You know, five, yeah. five games in. So let, let, let me let me hop in there real quick. As a, as a guy, I mean, hey, I I went through two quarterback battles with Cody Kessler in, in twenty thirteen and twenty fourteen. Lost those, and then I I stuck around, competed. I did to that argument of hey, stick around and compete. I mean, I I, I lived it. But even then, if if that's the camp you're on. Look in the mirror a little bit. The reality is, if you were in their scenario, I mean, you get one shot at this. JT Daniels yeah. gets one go at this. Every year that he's sitting is a year that he do, he's, he's not playing. He's not attacking his goals. He sure has NFL on his mind. And so I, I think that argument, sure, it applies sometimes for guys that, hey, transfer after one spring or whatnot. But JT Daniels, man, he's going through a knee injury. The, the writing's on the wall. To me, that's a tired argument if you're saying, hey, he, he, he's dodging competition. It's just you get one shot at this. If he was your kid, if he was, uh, if you were him, how would you be approaching this? I mean, I'm not big on that argument. And yeah, I think I'm honestly kind of surprised he didn't do it earlier, but I can't blame him for doing that. But that's the one argument that, hey, 
I, I, I lived the side of, hey, stick around and compete and all that. But then in my personal career, hey, you stick around for four years. All right, you grad transfer one for your final year at, at a different spot. You got one shot. Hey, what happens if you get hurt? That's what happened with me, and then, yep. uh, then, then career done. That's that 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 is what it is. No complaints, but you cannot blame kids for saying, "Hey, I get one shot at this. Every rep, every season is so precious. I got to go find a place to play." And you know, this was not an easy call for him. I'm sure, I'm sure it was a very tough decision because the incentive of staying and completing a USC degree had to be high in his mind. He's, yep. he's getting closer and closer. But if I stay a year and get my degree and then go. Well, if I stay here and see what happens, and, and maybe I'm needed this season, and who knows what, what happens? You know, I'm, I'm a USC guy. This was my dream. It's, That's it's that tattoo is going to be uh, that tattoo is right? going to be tough to to hide up. I guess maybe he won't hide it. Maybe it's part of his story. But uh, that's a that's, yeah, that's, part, that's a gnar- gnarly of piece of the story. Yeah, it's part of his story. Um, anyways, you know, I'm not saying that if he stayed another year, he wouldn't be marketable then. But he's more marketable now. If we, if we wait longer and he's out for two years, let's say that he stays and doesn't play this year because Keaton just kills it. That's two full years out of football. That's another year removed from being the five-star cover the prospect. I, I just think that his, his most marketability is right now, this moment. So it, it's a really bad break for USC. And obviously, they won't say that. They're totally supportive of JT. And that's the way Clay Helton runs his program. It's, it's player first, and they came out very quickly ahead of the story and said, we are on the same page, we support JT, and that's the way it should be. But it, it is a, a bad situation for USC, who now has two scholarship quarterbacks for 2020, Keaton Slovis and Matt Fink, who we saw the, the highs and lows of last year with Fink. And then they have a grad transfer in Mo Hassan coming in as a walk-on, who's thrown 17 passes at Vanderbilt the last two years. So it's not an ideal depth chart, but... This is what JT has to do for his best interest. Max, I, we'll close with this. I, I want to get, you know, there, there's still a, a huge divide in opinion on JT as a quarterback and his upside. I'm on the record that I'm a believer. I, I like his arm. I like a lot of the skill sets he has. People pick him apart for the 2018 season. They pick him apart for his deep ball, um, question his mobility. I've seen enough from the kid uh, in practice, in games, in the first half of that Fresno State game. I mean, yeah, there were, he threw an awful interception. But if that's all you w- want to see from that performance, that's all you're going to see. I saw a guy slinging the ball around the field pretty on the money with pretty sharp passes. What is your assessment of JT Daniels as a commodity at this point for the, the colleges who are going to be considering him? Yeah, I think JT has a talent to play anywhere in the country, and sure that might be the headline you grab. But uh, let me let me let me let me uh, provide some context there. I'm not saying he's going to go to Clemson and beat out Trevor Lawrence, but if Trevor Lawrence got hurt tomorrow, JT Daniels could go to Clemson and he could thrive. I think he he's going to need talent around him to have success. I think system, and we kind of saw it with Graham Harrell in that that first half of Fresno State that obviously helped him a bunch, but. Yeah, you're right. He's not crazy mobile. He doesn't have a strong, a crazy strong, a crazy strong arm. Excuse me. His, his throwing motion can be goofy at times. But the reality is, 
He is very accurate, and he throws with anticipation and timing, and those two factors are very, very important. So I think he could go to any of these any of these schools that people are listing, whether it's an LSU, a Tennessee, a Michigan, Florida State. I think he can go there and he can play. I think the, the concern for me is where's that knee at? Then I also think, if we're just being honest, the reason a lot of people liked Keaton Slovis was the intangibles, right? The personality, the kind of rah-rah, all that stuff. If that's not JT Daniels as much, that's totally fine, but it will be harder when he goes to a new school and it's a new locker room to kind of win over a locker room as a transfer if that's maybe not a little bit him so that's potentially uh concerning a little bit but by and large JT is a good quarterback I think we saw that he's an experienced quarterback he's played a lot of for his age he's had a lot of reps I mean you talk about playing as a true freshman uh if I had a Michigan fan text me the other day and say hey uh JT Daniels uh kind of getting thrown around some of our message boards what do you think and I, my response to him is, hey, if, if he went to Michigan, I would not be surprised at all if he beat out Dylan McCaffrey, who's supposed to be kind of the favorite at the Michigan job. JT's that good. There's a reason he's a five-star. I don't think he's necessarily, hey, uh, a first-round NFL draft pick, like a lot of five-stars are coming out, of, coming out of high school, but he is a very solid college starter. I think he would have had a huge year at SC last year, yep. so he's, he's going to need talent and a system around him, but he is a, if you need a quarterback, you better believe you are paying a, a phone call to JT Daniels and saying, hey... Come on a visit. Let's see what let's see what we got because he's a good quarterback. He can operate. He can put points on the board for your offense. Well, we'll see what happens. I, I think a lot of the, J, the JT Dallers will be surprised to see what he does at his next stop and where that next stop is. I think he's going to land in a big program and have big success. But that will be left to be played out. Max, any closing thoughts with the NFL draft this week on on expectations for Austin Jackson and Michael Pittman? Yeah, seems like both those names keep rising, especially Austin Jackson. Every mock draft, he's in the first round. I'm excited to see where he goes. I was skeptical when he left early, so good for him. I mean, it sounds like, I mean, unless something crazy happens, uh, that feels like the right decision, especially late. It feels like on draft day, if you're an offensive tackle, your name's only going to rise because that's a premier spot. So I'd expect him to go. And I also saw, uh, this is my last thought, I saw Joel Klatt said there he's, he could see seven receivers going in the first round. I'm not sure about that, but I think Michael Pittman, I mean, he's right on the cusp of kind of that six, seven, eight, nine guy, it feels like a little bit. So his volatility, for lack of a better term, on where he could go could be interesting. I could see a team falling in love with Michael Pittman, though. His work ethic, leadership, smarts, and then how good he is on special teams. I wouldn't be surprised if Pitt's a guy that uh, has his name rise uh, in, in in the coming days. Yeah, I, I rounded up all the mock drafts I could find last week, and Austin Jackson was a mid-first rounder in almost every one. And uh, Daniel wow. Jeremiah, who's a respected you know, NFL analyst, came out yesterday and said he's one of the four guys he thinks will go higher than people expect. Um, I think Pittman probably ends up in the second round, but I think he's going to be one of the steals of the draft. Uh, I just I couldn't believe in a prospect more than I believe in Michael Pittman succeeding at the next level. So that, That's your guy. You've been uh, – I mean – I think yeah. all SC fans knew he was great, but uh, you've been uh, you've been championing him hard. I uh, I respect it. Definitely. Well, hey, great stuff, Max. Good to have you back on. Good to catch up, and we'll find a reason to do it again soon. Yes, sir. Great to be back. Thanks, Ron. Okay, let's bring in St. John Bosco head coach Jason Negro, whose program has produced about a ton of Division One athletes across the country, but a lot of guys at USC in the last few years. We're talking Chris Steele, Raylan Goforth. Jude Wolf, uh, Kobe Pepe in the 2020 class, and then coming in this 2021 class, Ma'a Nadote and 
the guy we're going to talk about today, Maximus Gibbs. Let's bring in Coach. Big news Friday, USC gets a commitment from Maximus Gibbs, your offensive lineman. What have you seen from Maximus over the time you've had him, just in the way he's developed and, and the prospect he's become? I think one of the things that's most impressive about him is how he's continued to try to transform his body composition. Right. Um, over the four years that he's been with us. You know, he's a big dude. Um, you know, sometimes it's, it's hard for those guys uh, to be able to eat with the proper nutrition and work out and do the things that you need to do, but he's so committed to being an elite Division One athlete that uh, he's taken it upon himself to, to put himself in position to, to get a little bit healthier and change his body composition and make himself a more recruitable athlete, and that's exactly what he's done, and as a result, now he's able to commit to USC. Uh, I wanted to ask you more about that. That's obviously a huge part of his story. What's been the biggest step he's taken to make that happen, to, to make that transformation possible? I think he realized um, going into his junior year, you know, in the spring when a lot of college coaches were coming out and looking at him, and it was fairly evident to them and to him that, look, if you want to be a recruitable athlete and you want to be a nationally ranked type guy, you're going to have to uh, change uh, your eating habits, you're going to have to lose some weight, you're going to have to basically put yourself in a position to be a little bit healthier so that way we can recruit you. Uh, and he took it to heart. And that's something that says a lot about him and his character and the type of person that he is uh, because he has made that commitment. He has done it all on his own uh, with some of the help from our strength and conditioning you know, program here at Bosco. But at the end of the day, he did what it was what was necessary for him to lose weight, to give himself um, a little bit better, healthier lifestyle. And, and now the results are paying off for him. And I couldn't be more happy for it Was there a moment where you looked at him and said, whoa, you've, you've really come a long way? It just kind of really struck you, or it has just been so consistently gradual that you couldn't really tell in that regard? No, I think we, we, you know, we were able to follow him. We talked to him about it, and one of the things that I think we do a really good job of in our program is being you know, extremely transparent to our guys. We're straight up with them. We're not going to sugarcoat things. We're going to tell them exactly what they're going to need to do in order to achieve the goals and the dreams that they have. And, you know, Maximus wanted to be, you know, a, a, a collegiate football player, wanted to play, obviously, now in the Pac-12 at, at a school like USC, which has so much tradition and history. And so when he came to us and he said when his recruiting was slow, he came to us and said, you know, what do I need to do? And we said, well, the first thing you need to do is you, is you need to lose some weight. You, you need to put yourself in a position to where you can become a little bit more recruitable. And he took that to heart. And he didn't get his feelings hurt. He didn't get upset or mope and, and think that we were criticizing him. He understood that we were coaching him. And, that, and that's a very, very um, important you know, thing for our young men to understand that we're, we're looking out for their best interests. So when he came back um, in, in, in the off season after a sophomore year, Christmas break, I mean, he really put a commitment into the weight room and, and changed his eating habits. And, you know, the results are obviously speaking for themselves right now. Most definitely. Well, well going to his play on the field, his technique, what, what do you feel is his strong suit so far? And is there an area that, that you really want to push him to uh, to improve in more before he gets to college? You know, one of the things that I think he needs to improve on, I'll start there, is I think, you know, since he is such a big guy, you know, he's got to be able to, look, you know, lower his center of gravity a little bit, get a bit play a little bit lower. Um, when he gets into trouble and we, when he gets 
gets into situations that are difficult for him, that's when he's playing too high, or he plays out in front of his feet, uh, you know, and then he, and he loses balance and things like that. So these are things that I know he's working on. I know he's committed to his craft and trying to become a little bit more skilled player. But then on the positive side, um, he, he's devastating. He's one of the most uh, physical, menacing, finishing-type offensive linemen that we've ever had in our program, and we've had some really, really good ones. I mean, he really reminds me a lot of Wyatt Davis, who's currently you know, a starter and offensive guard at Ohio State yep. in terms of his mentality and what he's trying to do um, in the run game and, and how skilled he is in the pass game. Um, Maximus is, is, is a guy that wants to continue to learn. He wants to continue to get better. Um, he's always uh, putting in extra time, whether it be in the weight room or on the field, you know, doing some sled work with some of our offensive line coaches in order to put him in the best position he can be to be successful. And, and he cares about being the best that he can be. And, and that goes a long way for, for young athletes like him. How, how far off do you think he is from reaching his, his true full potential? He gets in a college strength program. He's working on it every day in, in a regimented system. That kind of project down the road when you think yeah. you see the best version of Maximus Gibbs? Well, I think he's trending in the right direction without question. He has to continue to, to work hard. He has to continue to um, you know, not now rest on his laurels and say, okay, I've arrived. Um, and I don't think he will. I think he's going to continue uh, to work on, on losing weight and, and putting himself in the best position that he can possible to have a devastating and dominating senior season coming up here in 2020. But I think by the time that he gets to USC and they can get him in their strength conditioning program and they can you know, give him the proper nutrition and, and the things like that, the resources, you know, that we don't necessarily have at the high school level, but he think he has at the college level, yeah, that's where he's going to really shine. I mean, Maximus is an NFL-type lineman. Uh, he, he was blessed with a bunch of size. He was blessed with the mentality, um, you know, and, and kind of the, you know, the drive to be able to be um, as successful as he possibly can. And, you know, I think the sky's the limit for the young guy, and I think he's only starting to reach his potential because, you know, he finally realizes what he can possibly be. And if he continues... Um, down the road that he's going, he's going to be one of the most elite, you know, collegiate linemen over the next four years. How did you see his recruitment unfold? Did you always kind of feel that like USC was was in the driver's seat there? I think so. You know, uh, it, it's just Maximus and his mom, so he's really close to her. And I think at the end of the day, that was something that probably you know factored in for him. You know, being close to home. Um, he's a Southern California guy. You know, he likes being a part of. Um, you know, the West Coast and, and that type of thing. And this is going to be something that's going to be easy for his mom to be able to continue to support him and continue to be a part of, of his playing career. It's going to progress, you know, uh, through the collegiate ranks and then hopefully on you know, potentially to the NFL if, if he can stay healthy and continue to trend in the direction that he is. Um, you know, and, and he's committed. He's committed to his family. And, you know, you've got to kind of give a lot of credit to him um, and the work that he has put in. To, to, to be in this position, and, and I'm super happy for him, and obviously I'm happy for USC. The, the St. John Bosco USC pipeline has, has really grown in the last few years. What do you attribute that to? I think they're really uh, committed to recruiting our athletes because they know the, the type of program that the kids are coming from. Uh, they know the level of competition that we play is going to be you know, some of the most elite in the country, and I think it's a smart proposition on their part. I mean, you know, if you look at some of the top-ranked high school football programs in the country, we're obviously ranked up there with some of those. And that's that's a direct testament to, to my coaches, my staff, and all the players and parents that are part of
part of this program. So um, obviously at USC, if you want to be elite, you better go get some elite players. And certainly we have some elite guys at the high school level. So as long as they continue um, to recruit our guys hard, and I think that once our kids get onto campus, they treat them very well. They understand um, that, that Bosco is, is a very important place. It's a destination when it comes to recruiting college athletes. And when our guys leave our program at Bosco and they get to USC, it's very similar. They're able to assimilate themselves extremely easily into that culture uh, because it's, it, it's one of the, you know, trying to become a champion. And I think that's uh, one of the easiest transition our kids have from, from going to Bellflower to downtown L.A. Yeah, I was going to ask you, how important is it, or how much does it kind of build on each other when you have a guy like Chris Steele come and play as a freshman? And then does that help influence... Uh, Kobe Pepe to, to commit, and then does it just kind of mounts uh, collectively as it goes on like that? I think so. I think it builds upon itself, you know, so to speak. So when you have a guy who leaves your program, goes to a program like USC, is able to have immediate success, you know, and he's got a lot of respect of his high school teammates that are, you know, kind of still in high school. Um, you know, it kind of gives them a lot of confidence, like, you know, man, maybe I can to kind of blaze my trail and do some of the same things that a guy like Chris Steele is doing. And then I think, you know, USC and, and our former players are doing a really good job of recruiting their school, which, which says a lot about the foundation that Coach Helton has laid, um, you know, and, and, and the commitment that he has made and some of the changes that he has made within his program uh, to try to get these kids to commit and to be a part of what he's trying to build over there. So, um, you know, when, when he has his own players advocating for their program, and it's a direct link, you know, to our program back in, back at home. Um, you know, it's a deadly combination, and I think they're really taking advantage of it at this time. Yeah, have you seen a different approach with the way they're they're prioritizing and saying we've got to be all over this program down the road? That's one of the best in the country and produces these guys every year. Yeah, I've said it on a couple other different interviews um, in regards to USC and the commitment that they have made to recruiting. Athletes, I think the one of the things that they need to continue to focus on is to, to, to go after the elite guys. You know, don't just settle for guys because they're in your hometown and you know you think that you're, they're they're going to be a fallback. If I don't get this guy, then I'm going to get this, this guy that might not be as talented, but you know at least we got a guy coming in here that's local and things like that. Um, when USC was at their greatest, they were recruiting guys across the country, and not only were they recruiting them, but they were getting commitments and landing them, and they were coming in and, and making them an elite program. Um, at the Division One level, so they, they're going to continue to do that. They have to be aggressive in their recruiting. They have to establish great relationships with some of the top high school programs in the country. And if they're able to do that, and they're able to get some of their kids from those schools, get them onto campus, let them play early, show that they have some success, then they can come back and get the next guy. And I think now, if you look at like you know three classes in a row, you got Chris Steele, you got Kobe Pepe, and now you're getting. Um, Maximus Gibbs. I mean, those are three pretty good players off of one high school football team um, that can make a difference at the college level. Well, you, you just mentioned them. Uh, my last question for you, Coach. Uh, Kobe Pepe is part of the incoming class. Was going to go through spring practice. Uh, if there was one, obviously there isn't right now. But what's the biggest way you saw him transform himself during his time in your program and, and become the prospect he became and have the kind of senior season he had for you? But once we were able to identify what position he was going to play, I think he kind of took off. So as a freshman, he was an inside linebacker. And, you know, he continued to grow in that offseason of his freshman year, leading into his sophomore summer, or his freshman summer, leading into his sophomore year. And, you know, we had some really talented guys at the linebacker spot. And, you know, so it was really going to be...
lineup as a sophomore playing inside linebacker, and he continued to get bigger and bigger. So we convinced him if he wanted to get onto the field quicker as a sophomore to play a little bit more and develop um, as a defensive lineman, that would probably be the best opportunity that he would have. So the guy's only really played three years at defensive line, so I think that his talent is virtually untapped. I think that, you know, USC is getting an absolute gem in him. He's one of the most talented guys, one of the most hardworking guys. He's super humble. Um, he embodies everything that you want out of a, out of a you know, high-level collegiate athlete. And he's going to not only bring a whole lot of, you know, talented football play to their program, but he's going to be an amazing cultural fit for them. And he's going to represent that school extremely well. He's going to make a lot of plays. And, you know, they really got a talented guy in, in Kobe Pepe. But, the, you know, his, his potential hasn't even been tapped yet. He's got so much more growing to do in terms of uh, – the level of football play that he's going to be taught at USC, and I expect to see some just really amazing things out of him in the near future. All right, thanks to Coach Jason Negro for joining us on the podcast this week. And as I noted, you know, obviously we have some differing audio qualities for the different interviews. Like I said, we're trying to find the best way to bring guests in remotely and record and. I think the interview with Coach Negro was the first one I did, so obviously I found some different methods afterward that were a little crisper sound. But thanks for bearing with me on this, and we just want to get all these guests in because I thought they were all interesting interviews. And we're going to close with another strong one, four-star safety commit Anthony Beavers, who announced his USC decision last Wednesday, the local product from Narbonne. Had a great talk with him, and we'll, we'll close with that and bring in Mr. Beavers. All right, excited to have this guest on today. We have Anthony Beavers, the recent four-star DB commit, Rivals top 200 prospect from Narbonne High School, committed last Wednesday. Anthony, how you doing? I'm doing great. What about yourself? Hey, it's been fun to cover USC recruiting this last week, or this last month and a half, really. Most definitely. It's been been, been up here. Well, there's a lot of stuff I want to cover with you. I want to talk about... Hey, your decision a little bit more. We talked last week, but I want to let the fans hear from you directly. I want to talk about this group of safeties and DBs that USC has committed, and then just about the buzz overall. But let's start with you and your position. You told me you're going to play the Joker role in Todd Orlando's defense, and it's kind of a playmaker spot. Kind of explain to the fans how you envision that role playing out for you. I'm just kind of be like a utility man. There's somebody that's on the field making plays all over the field and just causing disruption. Do you see yourself making a bigger impact in in terms of making hits and being close to the line or, or making plays in the air? Really, just when I'm on the field, I believe I can make plays. So whatever happens, I don't want to really make too many expectations. You know, sure. Just, that makes sense. Well, speaking of Tyler Orlando, I mean, we got to see one spring practice. So the, no one really knows what his defense looks like. What struck you the most in talking to him? I know that he reached out to you pretty much as soon as he got hired. What was that first conversation like, and what impression did he make on you? Um, it was just energetic. Uh, you can tell his love for the game by the way he talks about it, how much he's, uh, just his passion for the game, how much he's, um, just how much he loves the game. Everyone says he's, like, full energy all the time. Is that, like, kind of come yeah. through the phone when you're talking to him? Yeah, definitely high motor guy. High motor, high energy. And then we, we all know Dante Williams was a big factor. He's a big factor for a lot of guys. But he, he had been recruiting you at Oregon. You were committed there. 
how many times did you and Dante talk over this last couple months uh, to make this decision a reality, and, and how big of a role did he play in that? What is it about him that connects so much with guys, especially the, the local prospects? Um, honesty. I believe he's straightforward. Not really like, he doesn't really sugarcoat. Some coaches are sugarcoaty. Not, not really sugarcoaty, but like try to gash your head up. It's kind of honest. Like, say for instance, Dante offer you right, and he'd be like, you're good at this, but you suck at this. <laughs> like, that makes sense. Like, yeah. Brutally honest. Straight to the point. Yeah, straight to the point. So that can scare some people away, but then at the same time, that can help others. And and then another guy involved in your recruitment was, was Craig Niger, the new safeties coach. And we've heard good things about him, that he's having a major impact. Uh, but again, he's a guy the fans don't know too well yet. What what stood out to you about, about Coach Niger and, and his role in this whole process for you? Um, the love for the game he has, um, the way he develops players. You can look at his little. Uh, you can look at his sheet at Texas. He has some great players out of Texas. A lot of top recruits. So he just deals with the best of the best. The sharks, not the um, little salmon. <laughs> and 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 USC has hopefully gotten a few sharks in this class. Uh, six commits in the last five and a half weeks. Uh, nine overall. Six four star guys. W- what do you feel that USC is putting together with this class overall? Yeah, I mean, USC has five of the top 25 California guys committed right now. I know you're on a bunch of group chats and group texts with, with these guys. What are the conversations like, and how often are you all chopping up between y'all? the case all, all of last class. It seems like things are kind of changing in that regard a little bit, though. People are less hesitant right now. Yeah. Um, I believe people are less hesitant because it's like you have so much time on your hands, so you get to kind of really think about the decisions that you're making. Yeah. And it's kind of a tedious uh, situation anyways because it just, I don't know. It's just like strategic in a way because you, you, you never know what the NCAA, NCAA can make a transfer or like those scholarship numbers get low. It's just kind of not saying it's like securing your spot, but it just kind of like secures your spot. It like makes your quarantine a little more easier. If that makes sense. 
that, that does make sense. And you know, people have been wondering what effect this is all going to have on recruiting this, this pandemic. And, and that does make a lot of sense if you guys are thinking that way. Going back to the group text, like, give me a sense for how many guys are on one of these threads. Good deal. So when I talked to you last week, you said you think there was five or six more commits coming. We had two since then. We had Kalen Bullock and Maximus Gibbs. You still feel there's a handful of guys on the way? Soon, but I'm gonna go back to your to your day last Wednesday. Uh, like you said, it was a special day for you. You planned it out. What was the best part of that commitment day and experience? Um, I kind of think like the family aspect of it. Like, um, I talked to the SC coaches. I, I talked to the SC coaches like twice that day. Talked to them that morning. Had a big like it's a little Zoom call or whatever. Talked to those guys. Um. And then it's like, I, I I think I had a lot more family reach out this time. Like, this this round when I committed. So that, that was pretty cool. Was there one response that was the most meaningful to you? Um, probably like my grandma sending me uh, my name at LA Times. So, so, like, so anytime my grandma sees my name in LA Times, she sends a picture that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I, I got two more questions for you. I got to ask you about Jake Garcia, who was your teammate last year at Narbonne. He's obviously going on to La Habra this year. But what is USC getting in Jake Garcia, the, the four-star QB commit in this class? Um, Jake is a playmaker. Um, he's a leader on the field. He just leads us play. And, um, you know, he's a fierce competitor. That makes sense. He doesn't like losing. He doesn't like settling up for less. Mediocre, so. Good deal. And then finally, we'll close on this. What is your overall prediction for this recruiting class? Where you guys end up come February, I guess. Come February, um, top three. So you, you and Brandon Campbell are both are both pushing that top three notion. Yeah, they're, they're, they're killing it right now, too. Yeah, I think Ohio's got a commit today, so. So, so, so. Who else I've seen? We're getting a lot of commits lately. Oh, Michigan State. I've seen Michigan State get, like, six commits in the last three days. So, it's, it's definitely a lot of teams that's putting things together, because I believe this quarantine can help your recruiting extremely. It's, it's because you have more time to get in contact with the players and build, like, a deeper relationship. 
It's work for USC. No question. Well, awesome. Hey, Anthony, thanks for joining us. And I know USC fans are excited about your commitment and excited to see you on the field uh, in the future. All right, that's our show for today. That's our Trojan Talk podcast. Thanks for listening. And, you know, we're going to do a lot more of these moving forward. It's clear that we're in this situation for a while. And there's plenty to talk about, even though there's no sports going on. There's great discussions and debates to be had. Uh, We have great discussions and debates every day on the Trojan Talk message board. And again, if you're not subscribed, you have nothing to lose with our free trial. Again, you can get full premium access until September 5th. That's months and months and months and months of free access. Just sign up and use promo code USC2020. It's a weird time right now. It's an unusual time, so we're going to give you an unusually long free trial and special deal. We want to get you in. We want you to see what we do. And hopefully when things are back to normal and there's a football season, you've decided you want to be a part of this moving forward. That's the point of the free trial. Give you a free taste of it and hope hope you stay beyond that. But it's there's no there's no risk. There's no commitment. It's a free trial. Promo code USC2020 at sign up. And there's links all over the homepage at Trojansports.com. Thank you to all our guests, to Adam Gorney, to Max Brown, to Coach Jason Negro, and to Anthony Beavers. We will bring you some more interesting voices on USC football and athletics moving forward.